Hello everybody and welcome to the Cane and Rinse podcast, volume 5, issue 250. You can't play along with the show currently <laughs> because we don't know what the next run of shows is going to include other than we'll be continuing our series on the legend of zelda so if you haven't played the uh, spirit tracks or skyward sword you can catch up with those or a link between worlds perhaps you could have some fun with those over christmas and play along with the show but other than that uh, you can look forward to an announcement on our next 50 podcasts for 2017 coming later this year the podcasts not uh, not later this year that's the announcement the podcasts are next year you get it okay good uh, so head to canerince.com for articles features reviews and the links to our forum facebook page and youtube channel uh, you can support us via our patreon or you can buy stuff at our spread shirt shop spreadshirt.co.uk slash canerince patreon slash patreon.com slash canerince uh, don't forget to check out our other podcast sound of play it's uh, based around video games music we share tracks that we enjoy with guests and listeners alike and it's a lot of fun um, please review rate and most importantly subscribe to both the podcasts on itunes uh, or pocket Casts, or stitcher radio or tune in or whatever else and do keep keep subscribed over our uh, our winter break our hiatus our seasonal holiday whatever you want to call it uh, and you may even find that there'll be one or two little extra treats uh, thrown in to your podcast downloads even while the main show is away uh, and sound of play will continue i think over the holiday season as well now joining me, Leon Cox, in issue 250 are Joshua Garrity. This town's finished. <laughs> it was a bit of West Country in your version. It's more Cockney than that, Joshua. <laughs> yeah, I'm, living I'm sorry. Yeah. This town's finished. It's, it's more like, this, t- <laughs> this town's finished. That's what I'm saying anyway. Uh, right, more of that later. Sean O'Brien. Yeah, if I do it, it sounds even worse. This town's finished. <laughs> you sounded like Foghorn Leghorn. <laughs> 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 and for the first time ever on Kane and Rince, I believe it's a new guest uh, has appeared. It's uh, Gary Dutton. I was always more of a fun, more of a fun of. It's all your fault. That's also good. That's good. Welcome, Gary. Thank you. To, uh, the world of survival horror, Kane and Rince. Uh, <laughs> thanks for joining us. Uh, so uh, Gary is a photographer, uh, and you can also hear him on Chat Very Good Pod and sometimes Midnight Resistance. And uh, you can plug your excellent blog later too, mm. or anything else you like. Thank you very much. But we have much to talk about. So uh, the good thing is at least that we don't need to go too much into the sort of the series history because uh, there isn't any unless you count the souls games which you probably should but we've talked about those elsewhere so uh, our histories with bloodborne gary did you buy it day one yes i bought it day minus a week for, yeah, for here good. um which was a bit of a problem when i bought the dlc and forgot i got the uh, us version ah and went <laughs> oh because i bought the uk DLC and then went yeah. it's not working oh, why, incompatible why can't I find the the eye of the blood drunk hunter and then I, this is really <laughs> oh. difficult and I was like oh okay um so yes I I was due to go on holiday to Thailand actually just as the game came out and at first I thought oh I'm, I'm I can wait I can wait a week or so and then it sort of approached release and I went I can't wait a week and then I realized I could get it 
a week early and I did. So uh, that is that is my history of that one. I got it as early as humanly possible whilst initially pretending I wasn't ex- that excited about it. <laughs> okay. And uh, I think, that, well, I mean, listeners uh, who, who know when we get guests on, we normally get people on who have played the game and, and thoroughly caned and rinsed it. So uh, you've platinumed it? Uh, I never platinum anything because I find it okay. really boring to do that. Um, but I've gone through, uh, I think this is my, replaying it for Kenerance, I think it's my fifth run through. That'll do. Something like that. So yeah. <laughs> Five I, playthroughs uh, qualifies you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, Josh, how about you? Um, yeah, so I, I was definitely excited for this um, game, but um, I was kind of in the middle of, moving into my current uh, flat and we didn't have any internet at the time and I was kind of like I'm going to hold off because the online portion of the Souls games is really important to me so I'm going to wait until the internet's working and then I'll dive in um Basically, uh, I have no self-control whatsoever. Um, (laughs) I ended up uh, buying the game anyway because the word of mouth was so positive and, um, you know, started in spite of the fact that I had uh, no internet access and would have to wait a while to benefit from the patch that was coming down down the internet pipes um, Mm -hmm. at a later date. Um, Yeah, that's it really. And your uh, your your credentials. Um, so I've played it through once and a half, and I've played through the DLC once. That'll do. That'll do. Uh, Sean, how about you? Yeah, day one, uh, of course. Um, ever since that uh, Project Beast leak that happened a year uh, before the game came out, um, more than that, I think. Was it more than that? Yeah, I, don't, I, I, I can't remember. It's been so long. It's now, a while. But, uh, yeah, but that was just uh, that leak showed it as you know souls with guns. So of course I was in there. Um, mm. Well, you're an American, of course. Yeah, it's got to have guns. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, but um, yeah, I uh, platinumed it, and it's the only platinum I have of any of the Souls games. Um, Sweet. Yeah, I, I only played through the, the DLC probably I think just once because um, we'll I guess we'll get on to why, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I have the least history with this game and with the Souls games in general. I'm I'm on this show as a host and because uh, I can uh, and because actually a few very nice people uh, said have said things a lot over the years like, why haven't you been on any of the Souls shows? And the answer is because I've never finished any of those games. I've only dabbled. Mm. I think they're great. Uh, and uh, I just haven't got through them because of life and cane and rinse and other things. Mm. Uh, I would love the opportunity to sit down and, and play those games. I've played up to the first boss more than once in Demon Souls. I've played the first areas in Dark Souls. Mm. Um, so I was not a uh, like a you know a one bro or anything going into this. However, I decided to play this one. Uh, at the I tried to play this one at the same time as everybody else, so I bought it digitally day one. Um, I was quite excited to to see uh, what what they would do with the visuals in a a, a new generation machine, uh, and I played it on and off for a year and a half. Um, I played it in sort of intense bursts, but then I would leave it uh, in for uh, dormant for extended periods. Uh, normally, again, as I say, to do with uh, other other 
activities and Kane Arendt's schedule mm-hmm. um, doesn't always tally with um, playing through Bloodborne to N- NG plus six or whatever like some some of my friends have done um, mm-hmm. but I actually ended up finishing it today uh, and uh, I was uh, aided and abetted by our very own James um, so I'm I'm not ashamed to say that I've you know, I basically finished the game. I did do the extra boss at the end uh, because I did all the the uh, umbilical cord stuff. Uh, mm. Spoilers! Spoiler warning: you can have it now. <laughs> this is your spoiler warning because we're going to talk law quite shortly, and we're not going to uh, we're not going to hide anything. Uh, so yes, um, I haven't done any chalice dungeons. I have only seen up to the first boss of the DLC, and I've only I've only really just started to understand the story. So I'm here uh, as the kind of um, the noob, the 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 everyman um, player who's who's here just to who, you know I've beaten the game and so that's it I qualify, but I am not the uh, the expert that the rest of you guys are. So uh, Bloodborne is, as everybody knows, by From Software. Sony released it. Hidetaki, uh, Hidetaka Miyazaki, excuse me, uh, was the director. Uh, there are a host of composers. We'll talk about the music. It came out for. The PS4 exclusively in March 2015. Uh, It was reviewed according to game rankings by 74 outlets and averaged over 90%, 90 90.66%. And looking at punter, human user ratings, not them critics, uh, it has a Metacritic of 8.6, which uh, is interesting. I'm not sure why it's slightly lower. But the IMDb, obviously it's a movie database, so not skewed specifically towards gamers, but that's higher at 9.3. So it averages out. Uh, much the same as the critical reviews. Uh, Bloodborne won a game design BAFTA and two golden joysticks and sold around two million copies uh, physically worldwide. No idea how many digitally because uh, we still don't have sales figures for those sorts of things. Inspirations are fairly apparent. Uh, Gothic Horror and HP Lovecraft and the previous Souls games and it began development in 2012 uh, under the working title of Project Beast. So we're going to get right into it uh, because I know this is a big part of it for huge fans of the game. We're going to talk, as we always do, specifically about mechanics and all that type of stuff, video gamey things. But the scenario and the story, I've watched a couple of videos. Uh, there's some extensive uh, resources <laughs> on this. There's uh, there's one guy with a lovely uh, sort of relaxing voice mm-hmm. who has done a long and a short version of the plot. <laughs> the short version is 11 minutes of constant talking. The long version <laughs> is 31 minutes of constant talking. <laughs> so as as uh, as somebody here who came away from the game thinking, right, I get it. It's something like Lovecraft, but there's also huge <laughs> elements of uh, menstrual cycles and the moon and general nastiness. And there's also, yeah. uh, I'm not saying menstrual cycles are inherently nasty. I'm talking about the fact that this world is basically sort of drenched in uh, in menstrual fluid. And uh, and it's and it's and um, there's also werewolves and stuff. But that almost seemed to be a bit of a kind of. Um, a double bluff Trick, on, yeah. on the behalf mm. of the of the the, uh, the the commercial side. So, please, gentlemen, explain what's going on and why. If you think it's uh, an, uh, a great piece of storytelling, how and why? <laughs> oh, <Huh. laughs> oh, oh, boys! Yeah, we can, uh, what no I don't get for is to start. What, what I don't get is right. You, you, you from software folks. 
and I, <laughs> yeah. I stand I stand slightly aside from this. You won't shut up about your games for years on end, and then when I get in the box, <laughs> you're all like, "Oh no, I, I can't really say." So come on, okay, I'll Spit it I'll out. start. Um, at the heart of it, it's a tale of two scholars um, who want to be as close to the gods as possible, and they end up taking two different routes. And there's Master Willem, who's the the lad you see in the rocking chair, uh, just outside Rom the Vacuous Spider's boss area, who went the route of insight. Oh, and, and also the two schools of thought are linked to two different um, currencies, as it were, in the game. So you've got insight, which you gather by seeing bosses, because just I, I think the idea is the sheer horror of it kind of hits your brain with uh, opens your mind the yeah. horrible enlightenment um and lawrence who is um the one who kind of defected from the from bergenworth I, if i get any of this wrong i apologize because it is such a complicated story um he uh followed the blood route um ignoring although claiming that he would never forget the adage fear the old blood um he didn't fear it enough and took that route and they and basically it's it's two men who both think they're right um trying to get close to the gods and this is a, this is a, a real real tight summary here but it, yeah, yeah, it yeah, turns perfect. out that as with a lot of these kind of stories and lovecraft and stuff we are not man is not uh prepared for the yeah. knowledge or the I, neither the knowledge nor the power that the gods would provide us with brilliant and uh, and where do we come in mr protagonist or mrs protagonist you all you know is that you're you're definitely a foreigner to these lands like you come from somewhere else and you get a lot of xenophobic uh, comments from the uh, the townsfolk as you're walking around not just the attackers but the people inside houses um and you don't know much about yourself or your origins or what your purpose is all your you know, all you're told at the beginning is seek the pale blood. Now, to me, that means seek the blood of the great ones, because later on, when you start fighting the great ones, they have pale blood. So if basically it's giving you a clue as to the, you know, Lovecraftian, uh, Lovecraftian origins of uh, everything that's going on quite early. Um, but beyond that, like, I think like most you know, Soulsborne games. Really, your um, the protagonist is kind of witnessing the aftermath of more important, more influen- influential people. Um, the story is Lawrence's. It is Willem's. You are just kind of walking through. Um, an ongoing disaster as it unfolds um, with, you know, everything that those two have um, uh, given Yarnum and unleashed on Yarnum, and then also kind of the gods coming down to our realm and uh, deciding that they want to make babies and <laughs> all the horrors that ensue from that uh, decision on their part. But yeah, I, I mean, as like like with most of these games, the protagonist is really kind of a minor player. <clears throat> yeah, I think, um, yeah, and, and he comes he comes to Yarnum, he or she, 
uh, comes to Yarnum because uh, I think they're supposed to be infected with whatever the bloodborne illness is, hence the title bloodborne. Um, and so, like, you're supposed to have come there because the the cure or whatever is supposed to be there. That's like the transfusion that you take at the very beginning uh, from the guy in the wheelchair. If I'm remembering that correct. Yeah. Mm. So, and uh, we're going to kind of leap forward uh, both because, you know, people can look this stuff up if they want to know every story beat or they can play the game and then try to piece it together themselves because that's mm. what you have to do because it doesn't tell you a straight story. Yeah. And you know that's what these games are, are renowned for um so the bosses uh there's uh, sort of significance to some of the the bosses that you fight along the way in terms of the story as the game kind of um gets into the latter half um you you do encounter more and more of the kind of great ones um and um you kind of realize what's happening is that uh, the sides involved are either trying to ascend man to the state of a great one or kind of just create a great one in of itself. So, for example, Rom the Vacuous Spider is actually a man-made created god but is also an idiot god um, because of whatever kind of process was involved in creating it so i i love that as a concept like the idea that we attempt to make a a you know all-powerful being we succeed but it has no thought process whatsoever Mm. and and the name for that creature is so perfect vacuous (laughs) spider is such a great title but then i know that yeah, killing Rom kind of uncorks the bottle, doesn't it? Right. Yeah, that's what sets off the second half. Yeah. Basically. He's, he's essentially a kind of a doorstop, isn't he? Like yeah, a cosmic mm-hmm. doorstop, and that's yeah. <laughs> I always find like his design is kind of a, a slightly sort of just very very slightly comedic kind of bashfulness <laughs> to the character, isn't uh-huh. it? Because you when you get up to him, he he kind of he kind of shuffles backwards away from you, and he yeah. doesn't he doesn't really make a decent attempt to get away, and it, and he's all sort of fluffy and like <laughs> nearly, nearly cute. Rolls on his back, yeah, yeah, rolls on his <laughs> yeah. back. It's all very sort of cute, isn't it? It's really weird, yeah. but like they managed to pull off that tone without making that completely like jarring. That was quite interesting. Yeah. Yeah, mm. and an, and another example of um, kind of trying to create a great one is the the one reborn, which is just yeah. like this mashup of all of these corpses flung <laughs> flung together, yeah. which is another like, like it's flawed in a different way in that it's right. just kind of yeah. like why does this thing exist? Like it's just mm-hmm. a horrific creation. Um, and then you have like the whole um, nightmare realm as well, where mm-hmm. uh, Mikalash um, kind of creates the nightmare of Mensis, or is at least the host of the nightmare of Mensis, where um, the child um, is a, a great one. Child is being reared by the wet nurse. Like the, the talking about the plot of this game could quickly <laughs> go off yeah, the rails because like there's just <laughs> there's just so much going on. Yeah. Mm. Um, but I think for me the important thing to talk about when it comes to storytelling with these games is how much and how successfully the games kind of link the mechanical elements of the game into the narrative. Mm. Um, you know. For me, Dark Souls is kind of the absolute masterclass in that because 
Um, and I'm sorry if I keep bringing up Dark Souls. I just think it's, it's, kind, of, it's, it's kind of impossible not to compare the yeah. two games. Um, but, you know, stuff like The Undead Curse, like it's such an elegant way of explaining why the character keeps coming back to life mm-hmm. and... Um, uh, why all the enemies keep coming back to life as well, and having that be part of the narrative, having you die actually be a thing that happens, and you mm-hmm. you are resurrected. It's not like uh, Sands of Time or something like that, where he goes, no, 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 that's not how it happened. No, it did happen, <laughs> and you have to do yeah. it again. Um, but with Bloodborne, it's the stuff like the blood and the different variants of blood, and how you use them as like these simple kind of health items and uh, things mm-hmm. that you throw on the floor but then there's huge like weight given to them within the context of the world like how you kind of slowly figure out it never outright says it but you figure out that the blood that you're soaking yourself with is menstrual blood it has to be because mm-hmm. every source of blood that you get in the game any kind of special blood you get is from a woman and it's heavily implied that that's where the blood came from. And the menstrual blood having like this power of creation and destruction, like it because it's the it is the blood of creation in in at least in um mm-hmm. that's the way they talk about it within the fiction of blo- uh, bloodborne and i love that it's so subtle about that and it lets you kind of piece that together just based on the the way you use it in the context of the gameplay you never get like a cutscene lecturing you about the importance of it or anything like that i think that ultimately is why people love the storytelling in this game mm-hmm. is because it respects your intelligence i'm Curious, uh, and I'm going to slightly play devil's advocate uh, in this show. Um, I do very much like this game, and I've I've been interested in kind of catching up with the story uh, posthumously, as it were, or or like catching up almost uh, in the final stages of me playing the game and, and starting to understand things and piecing things together has been a case of i bought the i I was lucky enough to pick up a copy of the lovely hardback book in game for a tenner which i've seen on ebay for like 200 quid um and uh uh, and i've been watching videos and stuff like that so i know um that some people uh are into this idea of kind of having to piece things together having to discuss stuff listen to podcasts um go online and find essays and in a way, I think, you know, it is an interesting um, storytelling methodology. It's it's less, you know, it doesn't spoon feed you. And most, many, or not most, but many of my favourite films are done exactly like that. Um, they, they're they the sort of films where you can hear people in the rows behind you going, well, why are they doing that? And I'm thinking, just wait and you'll find out. Um, but equally, I think um, this is where Devil's Advocate comes in. I sometimes think that in cinema, and I know we're talking about a video game, um, sometimes very, very straightforward stories are chopped up and mashed around simply to slightly obfuscate the fact that they're very simple stories i'm thinking of say pulp fiction here or uh in fact most of tarantino's films um and you know they have they have other good and bad qualities as well in my opinion but that is something that if you actually you know if you if you watch a um a chronological version of 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 some of his films it's like oh is that all that happens is (laughs) all right (laughs) yeah so so i wonder um is this 
is this kind of having to do all the busy work, not busy work, but all the work yourself, the intellectual work and the investigatory work to mm. piece this very, very complex uh, story, at least complex in terms of number of elements, maybe not in over overarching um, plot. It's not something that, you know, anyone could basically understand it. But is it is it a method to to kind of obscure the fact that it's it's another tale of its type or is is that doing it a terrible disservice i mean i think it's fair to say that um bloodborne like the actual plot um forgetting all the kind of other details the actual story is fairly simple um but i think for me at least maybe that's because i i played dark souls to it to completion before this i kind of managed to figure out the kind of broad Mm. strokes of the plot as i played through anyway without having to kind of do extra research the pleasure um of it is of doing that extra archaeology and kind of reading all the item descriptions and kind of looking at the environment and seeing how things are positioned and stuff like that it's kind of filling out the more minor details of the world and mm-hmm. the the smaller stories um and i, yeah, I think yeah, it for me if i if i'm going to compare the two again um dark souls for me does a better job of the macro story stuff but Mm -hmm. bloodborne's like micro story stuff is really really compelling um a a great example for me is um the whole storyline with um uh father gascoigne and his (laughs) uh and his daughters um which you can you can completely miss Mm. but if you do follow it um, there's this really, you know, compelling story about a, a daughter who's been abandoned inside her house, a father who's been driven so mad by the, you know, poison in his blood that he ends up killing his wife and, you know, goes on a murderous rampage. <coughs> and then you're given the choice to, you know, collect um, the the jewelry um, that, you know, the girl's Red mother brooch. was wearing, yeah. the brooch. And and give it to her, and if you do, you're basically murdering her because she she leaves the house and then gets eaten by a pig um, that's living in the <laughs> sewer. Um, yeah. And 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 that's also skipping the the part where the the daughter gives you a music box, right. and if mm-hmm. you use the music box in the fight. Father Gascoigne gets emotionally confused for a couple of seconds because he's <laughs> yeah. overwhelmed by hearing his daughter's music box. Yeah. And and then there's the other details. This Sorry, this game blows my mind a little bit. There's the <laughs> other details, like, for example, when I first encountered that pig in the sewer, my, mm. um, my girlfriend's a historian, and she said, you know, in London there was, like, an urban myth about a pig, a giant mm. pig, that ate children who ran away from home. And I'm like, oh, Oh, that's interesting. And at the time, it was just a pig in a sewer. And Mm. then later on, when I found out that the girl left home and then this pig ate her it's like wow the how well read is this team like that they picked Mm. up that little piece of like victorian um you know mythology around london and used that in yarnum it's it's so impressive that level of detail yeah yeah Mm. it really really is and the way they tell that story as well it's very very 
you know refined over over the previous games but it's just so lovely and understated because as as Josh says you don't you might miss the whole story entirely you might there's there's no kind of um there's no sort of prompts to right continue this story by doing this or doing that you know you might yeah. give her that brooch and then she doesn't really listen to you Bennett, sorry uh-huh. you don't really listen she doesn't really listen to you after that and she's just right. left despairing and you think oh i guess that's it then and there's mm-hmm. no there's no thing that might suggest that you will find her after that fact or and 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 the and the place where you find her is not a completely non-critical place it's it's not something you'll necessarily even discover you have to really mm-hmm. be doing some exploring to find that the end to that mm-hmm. story and 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 then when you find it it's not a cut scene it's not a you know you, your character mm-hmm. doesn't go oh no it's that girl you know it's mm-hmm. it's oh god imagine <clears throat> if that happened that would be the worst thing <laughs> in that game you just go, yeah. oh, what's happened mm-hmm. what well, something that um, impresses me about the gas coin story and and most of the the side stories really is how much it um it tricks you and pulls the rug out from under you kind of like how so like i don't know about you guys but when i sent her off to at that point it was yosefka's clinic um i thought she was going to be fine like i sent everybody else to yosefka's clinic and then i'd go there and and she's like oh yeah thanks for sending that person over and um you know obviously you already talked about how she ends up being eaten by the pig but anyone else that you send to yosefka's clinic to uh also ends up meeting like that really weird alien demise that they all become yeah. Uh, and I thought that was a really neat trick, even though like looking back on it now, it's so obvious that they set that up to where she's such like a, a nice like person. You can't really see her behind the door, but you know, she's obviously a really nice person. And the other, um, oh, I can't remember that woman's name in, the, um, cathedral ward, but she's clearly meant to look like a monster. And so I wouldn't send anybody there. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> so you send her to Obsessed Clinic, obviously. And so yeah. I just I really like how it plays with your expectations of of what you think is going to happen, and, and specifically with that girl uh, Gascoigne's daughter, um, I really like how it ended up being so grim. So yeah, um, as we say, there are any number of uh, story beats and micro stories, and hope we've given you given you some sense of that. But I do want to talk about um, the endings and how uh, how would one come by the conclusions or, or understand what what the conclusions alluded to or what they were getting themselves into without having explored the law further outside of of the game i mean i assume it is it's possible for somebody to have worked out exactly what's going on by reading every note and paying close attention to every visual clue and and every uh, bit of dialogue but um uh, you know when i started attaining bits of uh, one-third umbilical cord, I did (laughs) not assume that I would have to consume three of them, (laughs) eat them to... to enable myself to have you know the the final ultimate fight and right. arguably arguably the best ending although you know it's very arguable what <laughs> you know what actually what what you want yeah. out of life but um again do you do you think as a as a games design philosophy this is i mean it's not particularly like i completely acknowledge what you're saying gary like the, it would be the worst thing if these games resorted to like really ham-fisted cutscenes or something like that but uh, but for me there is it's it's a time thing you know we often talk about um the fact that that the time is such a factor for us you know mm-hmm. adult gamers with with families and children and and lives and it's not that i 
you know don't love spending time playing video games but mm-hmm. there are more games to play as well so if i got to the end of bloodborne as i have only just done today after a year and a half making me you know very slow <laughs> in that particular case but um and then i you know i'd consumed one of the umbilical cords because it was an option and i wanted to see what would happen <laughs> yeah. and nothing happened and so yeah. i just pressed on and say so i have a conversation with gehrman in in the hunter's dream at the end and then there's two choices and i don't know which one is necessarily you know the right or best choice now if you make a, the the quotes wrong choice and if you don't say back up your save to usb stick or or don't let it sink you are you are stuck with that so i don't you know i don't know if the concept from from miyazaki and his team is like right this is that this is the david cage thing you have your one experience and that's your story but i don't think that is it i think it's like right you've done it once now go through it again and see something else and and that's fine but it's not necessarily always a possibility for everybody. So do you think the fact that it's so obscure and oblique about its choices and potential, you know, conclusions, uh, uh, is that a positive thing always? I would say so, predictably. Sure, (laughs) Um, sure. Because I think the reason I say that is um, uh, recently I interviewed the Chinese room and... They, I talked Fantastic. to them about um, everybody's gone to the rapture. Mm. And Dan Pinchbeck said um, wh- one of the points he made was that with with that game, you can sort of... There's a, there's a quite a straightforward critical path through there if you want to take that, uh, mm. which is sort of held by this orb of light. But there's... He said to him, he didn't even mind if people didn't finish the game. Um, he didn't think it was important and he also didn't think it was important that they would sort of find every piece of story in there because you can if you are prepared to wander slowly around the whole village which i was i sounded Mm -hmm. like a dick it's not (laughs) which which (laughs) i was um you you can find all of that if you want if you want to but you don't have to and if you Mm. don't find everything it's not important that you don't find everything, but it's there if you want it. And I think by having that sort of setup, you by not having the signpost and the handholding, um, you can sort of create this world, pepper it with different layers and different flavors of story, and then it's up to the player to decide whether they want to do that one run through miss things and whether they mind that or whether they think mm-hmm. no i i'm i would i would guess the argument is if you if you are feeling sort of a little bit frustrated by the end of it because you think well i wanted to know about this this and that then mm-hmm. my argument would be well then you enjoy it and not uh, yes and okay I, I accept that you time especially for us older games mm-hmm. is is uh is a valuable asset but um I think the argument might be that well that means you are interested enough in it to want to go and find some more but even if you mm-hmm. don't you've had an experience of this world and the law within it for me um the the choice to have the ending be the way it is actually um links up with the kind of overall theme of the game um mm. narratively um it yeah. the game is about be careful how you know far you you know delve into knowledge and hmm. like none of these endings are the good ending they are all 
bad endings, every single one of them. One, you just leave the dream and just kind of have to accept that the world is like this and move on with your life, knowing the horrors that are all around you and that the <laughs> night might might come again. The next one, you're trapped in an eternal form of torment where you have to uh, tutor the next hunter who's going to do the exact same job you just did. Or you become an infant god with mm-hmm. uh, the mind of a human, uh, I assume, with like zero comprehension of the huge complexities of the universe that are about to bleed <laughs> into your brain. Like none mm. of these endings are positive, and which ending you get is dependent on how far do, are you, as the player, willing to delve into this dark knowledge? Because mm. if you're not willing to delve all the way, then you get the ending where you're just confused and you (laughs) don't know what's happening and you're just a normal person in a complicated world that you don't understand. If you Mm -hmm. do delve all the way through, you become an an idiot god basically and (laughs) and i love and i love that the kind of the ending kind of reflects um that that message that the game is conveying of be careful how far you delve and the fact that it is kind of obtuse and and i have to admit i'm willing to forgive a, a degree of obtuseness with these games just because that's almost their mission statement um but I think it fits the kind of thematic message that they were going for. Um, On one hand, I do kind of, uh, I totally respect what you guys are saying about the um, intent behind, or the possible intent, I guess, behind Mm. uh, Miyazaki here. But I do think um, that having one ending just be getting your head chopped off and that's it um, was a little bit anticlimactic for me. Like just from a, just just from like a, a video game uh, point of view, like just looking at it as you fight things and you fight bosses and stuff. Um, for me, I was just expecting, especially after all the other Souls games, to have like this big epic final boss. And my first playthrough, I did choose the, I can't remember what that ending is called, but the one where you do get your head chopped off. And then it's just credits. And <laughs> I think like as 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 much as that does work with the story and and you know i can respect that it exists as as it is um i don't know i kind of wish there was at least some kind of final boss fight regardless of which uh option you chose just to have it at least even if it's not like a satisfying story beat to have at least like a satisfying ending to playing a game hmm. yeah but that just might be but that just might be me having played games for 25 years and always expecting like a boss fight at the end you know i mean yeah. I, I don't know it's yeah. interesting i think he's always played with that because at the end of sure. demon souls yeah. mm-hmm. you know you see especially the, with, yeah, yeah you're expecting this that, great yeah. king yeah and he's just a mm-hmm. just kind of a big blob of gel <laughs> <laughs> yeah um yeah. It, it is that kind of uh um i don't know pathos is the right word i feel like i use pathos incorrectly all the time um <laughs> is that kind of deflating ending that he's he's really fond mm-hmm. of that i mm-hmm. i do i know I, I don't know I'm, I'm just i think it's whether you are a fan of that or not it's, it's just a either mm-hmm. you do like that or you don't there's no kind of mm-hmm. getting around that is there but i i like the idea that i like this kind of um puncturing the the bubble and and just leaving you like oh okay um just just because it feels fresh i think still sure but, absolutely yeah. right Moving on, um, let's talk. You mentioned uh, the the Victorian style sewers there. Um, obviously, we need to talk about the look of the game, the 
the quality of the art and the visual design. Um, for me, it was you know it was apparent from the off, even though I really didn't know what was going on um, for the first goodness knows how many hours I played this game and slowly pieced a few things together and did a bit of research. Uh, I didn't really mind, um, and I, I treat a lot of video games that way. And I think maybe that is to do with the fact that I you know I started playing video games when they didn't really have um stories uh back in the early 80s it was a case of you are in the game and that's all you need to know really they might have had a screen of text um so i think that's that's part of it that i've never quite got my head around the fact that video games can have these amazing uh in-depth uh scenarios and stories um in some way but uh but i'm just happy to immerse in in such a a beautifully disgusting and disgustingly beautiful mm. um environment and and uh, and also for me as well as the the ornate gothic architecture which which is present throughout it's the 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 use of color um and the the designs of the creatures it's really hard at this point in the history of games to make creatures yeah. stand out because they've all been every you've you've fought a spider loads of times you've you've fought <laughs> a werewolf yeah. a million times you've you've fought aliens you've fought guys with cleavers it's all been done but what this game for me managed to do is actually make them disgusting again make them scary mm-hmm. again and i think you know one of the ways it, it it does that is by kind of trying to put into action what lovecraft would write quite clumsily yeah. in his books which would be a case mm-hmm. of it's so disgusting you can't describe it uh-huh. um it, and and just to gaze upon it would would cost you sanity so they've kind of they've somehow managed to actually with particularly with some of the bosses uh and and some of the the general mobs as well Mm. um create things where you think yeah i would not have thought of that um and some of them are almost faintly ridiculous uh like the 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 things that are sort of scraping around in boxes and and the giant pigs with eyeball faces and the crow rats rat crows i remember when i first came across just the the bog standard crow enemy and the first time Mm -hmm. i saw it and it was just the fact that it was it looked so and it's it's partly the you know the tech we've we've come to but the fact that it looked so fat and greasy (laughs) and and they had the ability to make me jump and and the sound design plays into this as well they you know everything sounds really harsh um and you know they're, they're sudden and and when you know when you start the game you famously in these games you are underpowered and mm-hmm. if you've never played one before you haven't got the whole dodging and rolling stuff down so you're just go- walking around the corner into one sometimes into one or two single mob enemies and they're taking you down and uh and that just adds to their kind of general uh mm-hmm. in the the intimidation factor so but back to specifically to the art um, yeah, I really liked it throughout, and I think um, I think testament to it is when I look back at my little gallery of, of screenshots. This is one of the only games where I keep the automatic trophy screenshot um, because uh, they nearly always remind me of how uh, how kind of intricate and and gorgeous and how much effort's been put into to each and every room in the game. So yeah, I'm a, I'm a fan of the art and visual design. How about you, chaps? Yeah, especially coming after. Um this is the first one after Dark Souls 2. And um, as much as I've, I've come to, I've come around on Dark Souls 2 a little bit, um, I still can't really appreciate the art of that game. And, and seeing this uh, come back so strongly with Bloodborne kind of makes me realize that as much as there is a full art team, I think Miyazaki has a very specific vision for each one of his games. And they call them to come through so clearly in so much of the environments. And, and specifically the, the monsters, like you said, even the not even just the bosses themselves, but like 
in the nightmare, like once the nightmare starts halfway through the game, and you get those, those mon- I don't know what they are called, but she's just like it's a woman, and she just has a giant head made of eyes. Oh, no. uh, the winter lanterns. Yeah, mm. yeah, and if it yeah. just sees you, you start that, that. That the frenzy thing is a little silly, I think, but um, just the, the design of that thing is monstrous, and uh, <laughs> it's literally seen it in my own nightmares. Um, <laughs> It's yeah. yeah that those are those are ex- exceptional design. They're, they're mm-hmm. just never not frightening. I've, no matter how many times you play through the game and you know <laughs> how to deal with them, I still was playing through it this time, and I just don't want to be near them. I just go. No. I'm, I'm going to leave that <laughs> section. Do I need that? Do I need to go there? Do I really need to? No, probably. Um, and frenzy is really bad news. It is. Yeah. 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 It, yeah. What's what I've and this is we're approaching uh, peak levels of hyperbole here, but so I apologise in advance. That's but, fine. Uh, <laughs> it was bound to happen. That's but, why um, you're here. Yeah, exactly. What what I've always found remarkable about the, the creature design and the art, whether it's in the animation, um, it, it's somewhere between the the design, the animation, and the behaviour associated mm-hmm. with yeah. that, that animation, but. Yeah. Both in Dark Souls and uh, and Demon Souls and and in, especially in Bloodborne, where it's obviously just been refined over the years to mm-hmm. a point. I really, really don't. I've got. I've. I've got. I would argue. I have a really um, sort of uh, intimate knowledge of the systems in this game now and mm-hmm. of the spacing and acute awareness of the spacing and I'm not showing off here as a point to this <laughs> um, acute mm-hmm. awareness of the spacing and the timing and, and the behaviour yeah. mm-hmm. but at the, but even with that I, I do not see the creatures as uh, and I'm, it's the only game series where I feel like this, I don't see the creatures as um, as something that's been programmed by a human being mm-hmm. Father, like, yeah. they feel, they feel but what I mean is they don't they feel like they're real. They feel like they're in there and they're thinking. And mm. nothing suspends my disbelief in the same way as those things do. And I always feel like you can get a handle on these enemies and they'll and one top one run through, you're doing say it's a run up to a boss and you're having a bit of trouble. One run through, they'll the same enemies, they will behave differently. And in a way mm-hmm. that you just I always think to myself I am sure I've never seen them do that. I'm sure I've never seen them behave that way. Why are they holding off? Why are they just stood looking at me? And then this time, why have they suddenly grouped up on me? They, they just, mm. I, yeah, maybe it's just like I say, I'm just so involved in it and, and I just love this series, this, this series again so much that it's just me. But I honestly feel like there's no other game where I feel like the, the creatures are alive, which makes you sound insane, but like, no, I no, always, no, the- yeah. Uh-huh. We were playing, um, James and I were playing um, uh, German today, uh, the final, mm-hmm. penultimate or final boss, depending, and uh, in co-op. So he'd not done that boss in co-op before. Yeah. And and obviously this is, you know, it's it's a not, well, I say it's not a complicated piece of coding, but it, when you think when you think about it in layman's terms, it doesn't sound seem like it would be that complicated. But mm. he what he wasn't expecting was the fact that it, it had obviously been the 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 German's AI was kind of ready for a co-op fight because what it does is it targets it sometimes targets one of you and then in the middle of its combo it will swing target yeah, yeah. Huh. and 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 so that's something that you wouldn't necessarily see in the game kind of you know we'll, we'll go on to talk about the sort of co-op the, the nature of the co-op but um but the fact that yeah, so it's, it's sort of a good example of they thought of everything and that these enemies do have perhaps more going on upstairs than mm. than many games and therefore it's easy to for that 
that effect of smoke and mirrors to make you feel like they're alive, combined with the sort of the extremely um, flamboyant animation as well, of course. Yeah, I, I think f- for me, uh, a, a big part of what you're talking about is kind of the the decision um, in regards to kind of enemy placement and their position within the world in that there's a refusal in these games to just have enemies there to be enemies there's always kind of like an ulti- you know a motive for them being there um whether it be you know a bunch of villagers kind of patrolling the streets for any beasts that they can find or simply that this boss creature is trapped because you know the villagers have locked them up and and they don't want anyone else to get in there um, yeah, there's just this general refusal to have anything be out of context, for anything to just be there to be a challenge. It needs to have a narrative drive as well as a mechanical drive. And like just kind of uh, talking about um, the more general art direction in this game, um, you know, the, the architecture and the buildings and stuff like that, what I'm continually impressed by is like clearly how much reference material these guys are using um this is another case where um cat my historian uh, girlfriend comes in again where um uh, i was playing through um you know you know central yarnum and then you get to the point where um central yarnum intersects with old yarnum and Kat was watching me play, and she said, oh, wow, that's really clever. And I said, what, mm. what, what's, what's clever about it? You see the brickwork in Old Yarnum? That's pre-Industrial Revolution uh, uh, brickwork, <laughs> whereas all the brickwork in Central Yarnum is post-Industrial wow. Revolution yeah. um, brickwork. And it's just like this really subtle touch to show you this part of the you know the town is from a different period of time. Yeah. Wow. It's not you know a dramatic you know leap in not time. Jarring. It's yeah. it's just kind of next door in terms of like the time period. But it's enough of a difference that the architecture is shaped differently, and just the technology of the time shapes how the buildings are made and how the roads are made. Stuff like that just impresses me no end. That's amazing. I didn't realise that. That's mm. what, and what the other thing that I find amazing about the art direction in this game is whether it's um, the, there's so many. I mean, obviously, there's a very strong, consistent tone throughout theme throughout, but there's such a variety of, of styles of environment where you've got the gothic, um, sprawling gothic architecture. You've got the old mm-hmm. town, but you've also got this. I was most impressed when you get to um, Henwick Charnel Lane, which is where mm. you start to see a more kind of uh, you could loosely call it rural sort of sort of yeah, uh, vibe. Um, mm. But what's amazing is like that the fact that you can sort of spin your camera around 360 degrees in that area, and whatever's kind of shot that you're you're lining up the shot yourself, but whatever you're looking at looks interesting from an art direction perspective it, it mm. keeps you in the world there's nothing that throws you out there's nothing that looks like it's sort of been well, let's just put a bush there because i don't know we need a bit of bush there because it looks barren there's everything you can sort of frame a yeah a beautiful picture no matter how you put the camera yeah. that, it's like that the baffles sort of, me uh, this coen brothers cinematography kind of yeah. thing um mm. and and um 
I think it's really important as well because the game is this essentially this big interconnected maze uh, with you know there are some completely uh, separate subsections as you as you mm-hmm. go along but um, there are these huge areas which famously link back up round to each other and there are shortcuts which you can uh, unlock as you go um, but it is all if you're not say an architectural expert um, it's very easy to get mislaid or lost um, uh, and the the fact that every area even when it might be using similar assets is distinct in its layout mm-hmm. and uh, <coughs> and feels more like its own place I think that's really helpful because mm-hmm. it would be very easy to make a game like this where the player was permanently lost whereas obviously you know sometimes you take the wrong path when you're still learning your way around but it's felt it felt to me harder to get fully you know horribly lost um mm-hmm. than it m- might in in another game and i think that's exactly what that's that's to do with the with the art as much as it is to do with the level design mm-hmm. i think the one uh, exception but i think it's again talking as a super fan here i think it's a per- on purpose a purposeful exception yeah uh, is the forbidden woods where yeah it yeah, is completely labyrinthine and, and yes yeah and and but I, i'm pretty sure that's not you're, you're I, supposed I completely to feel agree. completely lost yeah. um, but even then you, you end up navigating by enemy don't you because you start to learn where yes. because the enemy placements because famously in these games enemies respawn every time you come in and back in the area uh you learn to navigate by it right if there's if if that guy's there around that corner, then that leads to there and so on and so forth. But yeah, there were areas, yeah. where, you know, I'm still finding areas when I go back to places now, 18 months on, and I have no idea what my game clock is because it doesn't tell you, does it? But um, uh, I've played many, many, many hours in the same locations over and over again, for mainly for grinding because I'm that kind of a player, um, and still find a new path sometimes or a new rooftop that I didn't realise I could hop to or, you know, all that sort of thing. Now there is a there is a slight downside um, to all this, and I'd say there are some technical hitches. Uh, they they were improved by a couple of patches, particularly the loading times, which were mm. ex- extraordinary when when <laughs> yeah. the game first came out. Um, they've been reduced significantly, but then they're still not the shortest uh, mm-hmm. of a modern game, even when you've got the game fully installed to hard drive. Um, I imagine that a solid state drive improves things slightly further if if you, you know, put one of those in your PS4. Um, but there's also the frame rate uh, thing, and by no means uh, is Kane and Rince a universally snobby kind of you know <laughs> 60 FPS or get GTFO kind of podcast. Um, but I think it. It is interesting that in a game that is, uh, as much as it's all the stuff we've already talked about, storytelling and art, uh, renowned for its crisp, uh, you know, incredibly tight um, third-person action gameplay, Mm -hmm. they targeted 30 frames, but it quite often drops below Mm -hmm. that, especially in co-op, which, you know, maybe isn't the way you spend most of the game, but it is an option. Uh, And there are certain sections where even just looking around the scenery, the frame rate plummets sometimes. And it's a bit of a shame because it it can take you out of it. I'm not super sensitive to it, but I am somewhat sensitive to it. So Mm -hmm. um, compared to some people who would be like, right, I'm never playing this again. Why isn't there a PC version? (laughs) Um, Which, you know, I would love to play this on on my PC with its lovely new graphics card in 60 frames a second. It would uh, maybe even higher resolution. I think it would look astonishing. Um, Mm. But on the on the now aging PS4, uh, <laughs> uh, I, I, I don't know if they are they doing a pro patch for. No, for, they haven't announced anything yet. Mm, that's that. a shame. No. So, do, do, how much does does this? You know, very briefly, does this, yeah. does this is this something that bothers you guys? Uh, uh, for me, it, it it wasn't so much of a big deal because I had played all the other 
uh, Souls games on console, um, and they were all 30 frames per second. And and uh, for those of us who played Dark Souls, like we had to suffer through. Um, oh yeah, Blight <laughs> uh, Town. Yeah, yeah. Sure. yeah. So so Frame like plummet. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm, I, it's just almost expected at this point. So I, I don't know. It didn't really bother me. But I, if, if they're given the option, of course, I would love to play it in a higher frame rate. But it didn't really um, mar the experience for me. It's kind of a a negative trademark of, of From at this point. It is, <laughs> yeah. it's, it yeah. is always a thing in their games. And it is something they're clearly not great at. Whatever, you know, I, I, my knowledge of game dev is not strong enough to know who would be responsible for that or whether it's a, a you know a, a scheduling time scheduling thing what they see as important over what else in terms of time they have to make a game but yeah. um yeah it is something it would be nice if they brought something out that didn't have those issues but it's yeah. almost like you're almost getting that association of like bethesda and buggy madness <laughs> you know it's, it's, yeah, it's yeah. almost the same now that it goes hand in hand I, I think for me because the the pace of souls games even though Bloodborne, you know, judged on a curve, is much faster than uh, Dark yeah. Souls or Demon Souls. It's still a slow-paced action game, and so whereas you know something like uh, Bayonetta or Devil May Cry, that mm. kind of major difference in frame rate can really damage the experience. Um, for me, for the most part, um, when you're in a fight, it doesn't dip too much. Um, it's usually when you're kind of just traversing around the environment where it kind of it's at its worst and even when it does dip during a fight it's not absolutely disastrous to whatever you're doing so uh we're kind of um segueing into uh the the core gameplay we've already sort of touched upon it um i also want to talk about sound because actually i've already mentioned it this uh this part is important for me to the feel of the game it's not just the crispy controls and the responsive uh avatar and his ability to jink and roll and dodge and jump and all the all that good stuff um it's also the fact that every time you make contact or they make contact with you uh there's this rather really rather exceptionally over the top sound effect but it completely sells the contact um for me that is that is a huge part when when it 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 both cracks and scrunches and squidges and does all the right things to and that is the sound you will hear you know the most um it sounds familiar to me now as i say i'm not uh, overly uh immersed in the souls games but it sounds similar to me to what's gone before but maybe maybe heightened even further is that is that about right yeah i would say so i think the there's there's a definite uh ramping up of the the of the, the sort of the the blood spurting and and that kind of gory mm. noises i'm trying to avoid the v word here uh even though it's quite <laughs> it's even though it's quite appropriate it's actually in the game yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, just, attack, it's just an yeah. aversion to the word isn't it but, yeah um, sure yeah, yeah. go on i'll final say visceral um you know it, it does um it does that exceptionally well and as you say yeah that slightly over the top which is very befitting of a, a game with such kind of gothic sensibilities you know that dr- very dramatic um sort of gothic feel to it so it, it works perfectly in that sense as well and um like i think the the sound design in bloodborne is exceptional and i think it's kind of the the thing for me that it does um 
that it evolves the most over um, any of the other Souls Souls games. I think it really owns um, its sound design in a way that, as much as I love the sound design in Dark Souls as well, I think they really take uh, full advantage of it here. So, like a great example for me is when you. Um, crush the kind of eldritch uh, knowledge those skulls of the yeah. slugs coming out you crush them and then you hear little whispers of the elders mm. in your head mm-hmm. it's just mm-hmm. a lovely little touch <laughs> and and also the way they um they use the sound design of some of the creatures to kind of convey their personality i'm yeah, skipping absolutely. ahead a little bit That's okay. um, but uh, the dlc the boss um, orphan of Kos. Um, the screams and the screeches (laughs) of that creature are terrifying but at the same time convey an infancy as you know this creature has just literally two seconds ago Mm -hmm. been been born into the world so the fact that they can convey um, those two ideas of this being an overwhelmingly powerful creature and also a baby at the same time <laughs> is such a kind of clever use of sound design. It's rare where the where the phrase blood curdling actually uh, um, sort of seems to fit, and and this game has a lot of those uh, those sounds. Um, and it also uh, this sort of brings us back slightly to the the, the voice acting, which I just want to mention briefly. Um, it's consistent with uh, the game's predecessors in that it has this very particular. Uh, sort of quiet um, mainly English tone to it Um, it has the sound of a sort of uh, a very stagey kind of English uh, play I suppose is is the way I think of it it's um, occasionally a bit hammy but sometimes undersold and it's all delivered in this slightly ethereal kind of semi half interested way I really like it um, and I love the fact that it, it sounds so distinct to every other game where, where the tendency and there's, you know, we, we, we credit voice actors a lot on Kane and Rince because I think they are undervalued as, as a whole in both animation and video games. But there are ways of doing things that are the norm, which is normally a lot of big acting um, to get your voice performances across. This goes across anime, CGI films, uh, traditional animation and and video games. But in these uh, from software games, they go for something that's so much uh, lower key and more particular. It's, it, it, it's very much its own thing. And I don't always think the acting is, you know, to necessarily of the highest standard. But I really appreciate that it sounds unlike anything else. Um, the, the big standout for me is uh, Eileen the Crow. Um, just because you don't hear that kind of northern english accent in video games Only or in, in movies <laughs> yeah and it's and and it's a japanese game it's not you know a british studio making this and mm. and i think that's really cool to see that but also the voice acting um for her does such a great job of immediately conveying her um, dominance um, in the realm Mm. that she's inhabiting. I believed that she was a badass without ever seeing her take out an enemy or (laughs) fight anyone. And you do get to see that later on. She's, Mm. you know, fighting a hunter. But just the calm confidence with which she carries herself and the way she just, you know 
conveys that information to you as if she's been around the block she's seen this all before you're mm. just an ignorant newcomer you're yeah. new <laughs> yeah. to this i've i've seen this happen before i know what's happening it's yeah. just a really it's understated and i don't think it's like the 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 best performance i've seen in a video game or some kind of hyper uh, you know hyperbolic statement like that but yeah. um it, it's just impressive to see a performance so low key yet conveys exactly what it needs to convey i am um, i actually particularly like eileen for a, 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 a number of reasons apart from the fact that she gives me my favorite weapon in the game when i when i complete a quest line or kill her but i don't kill her because i'm I'm never (laughs) gonna kill her um is that she's so she has a a lancashire accent essentially Mm -hmm. um and what i and that's where i'm from um and what i really appreciate about that apart from having this kind of weird kind of uh, regional kinship with her is that she's a character who who has that accent who is not portrayed as an idiot or as basic, <laughs> yokel, yeah. or as a yokel, or as kind of you know she's not she's not thick, uh, she's not kind of oh I just like eating stuff you know she and she's she's in control and she's she's like fiercely intelligent and and knows exactly what's going on and you're the idiot and for that accent particularly in games you don't you don't get many characters that that have that sort of role so that was I actually really really genuinely appreciated that. Um, and the only other thing I was going to say about sound design was my favourite voice acting is the witches and the laughs and the and the, mm. and the accent <laughs> of the witches is just my favourite thing in the whole game. Mm. Uh, a curious thing for me, I suppose, uh, and I wouldn't necessarily have assumed this. Obviously, we have another podcast, Sound of Play, which uh, we feature video games music, and we've had some pieces from uh, all all the from software uh, moderns from software games i should say including even the armored core series um and we feature some bloodborne pieces and what i wouldn't have assumed because of the consistency of the soundtrack and the general uh, thematic and and audio visual consistency throughout the game is that this uh, ost is written uh, composed by six different people uh, three western and three japanese now i don't know how this exactly this is divvied up i assume it's not one big collaboration where they all sit in a room composing together like some kind of uh, um, band. I imagine these are pieces uh, supplied by uh, different people for different sections. I don't know how they are commissioned. Whether it's um, the composers get to see the 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 fights because generally the music uh, only kicks in when there's a big battle going on. In in I think that's true all the way through, isn't it? In Bloodborne, there's there's music for boss fights, and that's that's where the music is. Obviously, there's a theme and an end theme. Um, so yeah, it's interesting to me how uh, consistent uh, the music is. Uh, yet it's by all these different people. Um, you know, I like some of the pieces more than others. Some of the ones we featured on, some of the ones we featured on Sound of Play, I've thought have been brilliant, and, and pieces that I haven't really had time to notice when I've been playing, where it's simply served as a uh, a hurry up kind of music um, to to engender fear when you're already you know you think you're already scared enough just because there's this enormous uh indescribable monstrosity trying to slam you into the floor or uh spew acid all over you or whatever they're they're doing in this particular boss fight um but yeah so uh, i love the main theme i've heard it hundreds of times because i watched that cgi intro over and over again um and i finally heard the the end theme today which is a, a big kind of expansion of that but then it then it has this very quiet 
um, thoughtful, introspective section as well. Um, so yeah, uh, I think it's cool. But um, have any of you guys got better things to say about it than that? Uh, Gascoigne's theme is mm. my standout favourite for me, um, and this is possibly speaking to my uh, musical ignorance <laughs> more than anything. But I, uh, for the first few listens of that, I thought it was a a, a, a classic, you know, an existing classical music track. Oh, really? Okay. Because yeah. of the kind of the authenticity of it, I thought, what is mm. this? I thought, is this some you know, is this Brahms? Is this, is this, you know, and I was trying to, trying to find out what it was, but I, yeah, that's, that was interesting to me. It's something about the strings in it that are so kind of authentic to that old sort of classical music style, which is, I was very impressed by that one. And it's just really stuck in my head. Um, that was yeah, I believe by, by far that, my favorite. Uh, real strings and choirs are definitely employed for this game. Uh, it's not, it's not synths and uh, synths. Yeah. I think, for me, um, you know, just continuing the uh, the love of strings, um, <laughs> I, I think the um, Blood Starved Beast um, track is really great. It even though it's not, you know, it's not following a similar uh, melodic structure, but it reminds me of the Jaws theme in that yeah. it conveys that kind of um, incoming monstrosity. Um, this kind of hunting presence that's coming after you and and it does that so effectively whereas you know you compare that to Gascoigne's theme where it kind of evolves over time as it as um, he changes and and gets more bestial Um, so at first it's much more kind of uh, structured and and feels more like you know a threatening person attacking you, and then it goes more and more out of control. And I love that you know another again just kind of rooting something in narrative, like conveying that evolution of the character over time. You know during the fight using the music is is so effective. Um, and just just one last standout for me is um lady maria's theme um in the dlc again that's another track that kind of evolves as the fight evolves it becomes more desperate um as you know she starts resorting to darker and darker tactics trying to defeat you even to the point where she stabs herself in the body to you know cover her uh her blades in her own blood um yeah i just yeah the music in this game is so good and it, it's such a relief because um I, I you know again like sean i've come around on dark souls 2 i actually think it's a it's a great game despite my initial uh, disappointment but i think the soundtrack for that is completely unmemorable mm. whereas the soundtrack for bloodborne is really really effective mm. uh, uh i'm gonna have to be the odd one out here okay <laughs> um, uh i i I love the song that plays behind the cleric beast fight. Um, it's, it's just like the mixture of how like intense the choir is singing on top of the cleric beast screams is just like, oh, it's, it's just perfect for me. But I can't remember any other song from the entire game. And, and not, that's not to say that any of them are bad. It's just none of them stuck with me outside of that one song. And like, unfortunately, I can't help but not compare it to the soundtracks of other games and like Firelink Shrine the the song that plays um in Dark Souls 1 it's just like I'll never forget that song and uh I just don't think I don't know something about this uh soundtrack just nothing none of them ever really um mm. stuck out to me 
So maybe using multiple composers didn't work from your perspective. Maybe. Yeah, it could yeah. be. I mean, like I said, none of them, I've never heard any song that was like, this is terrible. It doesn't fit no, at all. No, no, sure. It's just, mm. you know, nothing. Yeah, I think, I think Phylink Shrine was so, they made a rod for their own back with Phylink Shrine because mm-hmm. even, again, even the hunt, like the Hunter's Dream and um, I can't remember the Dark Souls safe. Medulla? Yeah, oh, Medulla. Oh, thank you. Like both very nice bits of music and mm-hmm. I think uh, mm-hmm. Hunter's Dream is, is quite a lot better than Medulla yeah, but um, even then you just can't the file filing is just something so special about filing that just mm-hmm. means they, they it, and those areas are always going to get compared to filing unfortunately yeah. uh, at least for, at least in my head they are and, and I think it's just I mean it's just unfortunate but yeah, yeah, yeah you're always going to go back to that so I have a 550-page book uh, next to me, but we're going to have to talk fairly holistically about the moment-to-moment gameplay. Um, and to that end, I'm going to bring in a couple more forum posts to kick us off. So Neo Gaza says, You are always fully in control of your character, and the fact that they encourage you to face your foes is a great addition when coming off the shield-cowering tactics of the Souls games. It does make the game more skill-based, but I love that particular bit. It's quick, it re- rewards risk, and it feels just right. The moment when you begin to master your weapons by switching between modes mid-combat that is when Bloodborne's combat really shines it makes you feel like a badass hunter even when you are underpowered it is still possible to take down harder enemies and Stan Shaw says I love two things in particular about Bloodborne first the sense of weight and movement to combat each weapon has its own rhythm and particularly with the addition of the DLC weapons and the lack of stat based build variety almost every weapon merits a separate distinct playthrough Wow, that would be a lot of playthroughs. (laughs) There's quite a lot of weapons. If I watch a Let's Play, I feel the glide in every quick step and the schlonk of every heavy weapon swing. And on that note, after staining the streets of Yharnam with the saw cleaver and blades of mercy, the heavy artillery is where I've settled. In particular, the two-handed Kirkhammer R1 combo makes my jaw go slack in nihilist reverence. It's like watching a block of flats get demolished. The little touch is like your feet bumping off the ground upon impact give it a gritty earthy sense of weight ram abritus in the face with the excruciating wind-up of a fully charged stake driver and you will happily die 20 times trying to time it as perfectly again that teeth gritting impact captures the catharsis of violence better than anything i've felt in games on a mechanical note compared to the deliberate rhythms of dark souls bloodborne did feel quite hack and slash with the r1 button getting a serious workout and yes i am a scrub but even this button mashing change feels like a conscious decision by picking up the pace and bringing in the rally mechanic from somehow managed to make the player feel that same sense of desperate bloodlust we encounter in almost every creature of Yharnam. Uh, and yeah, just to uh, input me here before you guys go to town, um, <clears throat> I think one of the things that uh, meant that I dive straight into this and um, although I've ended up, you know, drifting away and coming back on, on a few occasions, I think the reason that I found the opening uh, stage is slightly less intimidating than both Demons and Dark Souls was that I am a horror uh, for uh, games with a block button or shields. It ta- It's so uh, a- antithetical to the way I think about playing video games. It always has been going all the way back. Even games, early, early, early uh, arcade games where you had a shield button like Asteroids or, or Phoenix, I struggled to get my head around using that i always just wanted to attack 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 
and this is where for me bloodborne and i you know we we have a we have a, a synergy a symbiosis because um attacking is rewarded and while you can play it to a very high skill level and you can do a, a well not a one level but a, a level four run through if you want because you can just avoid ever being hit by jinking and and kiting and all those other cool things um you can also level your character up um to the point where you can take a few hits through over aggression or laziness or lack of skill and you can just wail on bosses and maybe in some ways it takes some of the 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 super level skill out of it um but it allows people like me who are impatient to actually get through the game uh so so i appreciated that about bloodborne and it means that while I do still appreciate it's the Souls games and I will go back to them, um, this one was the one that I've got through first because it allowed me to be a bit more gung-ho, a bit more banzai. This is something that I've always thought about the Souls games, and particularly with Bloodborne, is I think you can... You know, people complain sometimes about the difficult difficulty level, and while I have sympathy with that, I also think that if they realize one little fact is that by with with the leveling system you and the and the choice of weapons you can actually set your own difficulty I think yep, and I think yeah. you can actually make it uh, as as easy or as difficult as you want and 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 to fit how you you like playing and and, and the reason everyone so like, oh, not everyone, but many people have a similar experience, like with varying skill levels of kind of scraping through enemies and things. Is because what happens is, is you level up or you sort of build whatever character you're making to the point where you just get through, and then you always kind of that's always been the beauty of these games. You always feel like you've just got through at the skin of your teeth, and then if you start to find that easy, if if it bothers you like it does me, because I'm a sadist. You you drop it down and and you can make it how you, how you want to make it. Um, um, w- one of the criticisms levelled at Bloodborne, um, which I don't actually agree with, um, just to put that out there, but um, the the fact that they're so the the weapons and um, all the items, it's it's a lot more stripped down when it when compared to Dark Souls. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot less weapons. And the number of options in terms of build is limited here. Now, the reason why I don't think that's a negative is that every single weapon is golden. Like, there's not a bad weapon in this game, whereas Mm -hmm. in Dark Souls and Demon Souls, you'll stockpile, um, you know, piles of uh, (laughs) broken hilt, yeah, just (laughs) broken. Um, yeah. Daggers and what have you. More classic just RPG, gonna... isn't it? In that yeah, sense, this yeah. is more, yeah. more more like a uh, more like a, a Devil May Cry style action game. Right. In that, there's a set of tools which are all usable in certain areas. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and that that's why it doesn't bother me. Is that the depth? Um, the depth has been put elsewhere. So whereas mm. in Dark Souls you can go from being, you know, just your normal sword and shield guy to, you know, a magician that can control astral projections and what have you, <laughs> here you're still kind of either picking between a light and stabby weapon weapon or a big heavy weapon. And there mm. is some magic in the game, but really no one's mm. building an entire character around that magic. Right. But the amount of depth that you know, you know, Gary was going into it earlier. But like, li- listen, you know, listen back to what Gary said. That's a huge amount of depth 
for mm. just one weapon in what is, you know, an action RPG, not, you know, a Devil May Cry or a Bayonetta, even though sure. it's leaning on yep. those influences a bit. This is, a, you know, an RPG, yet you're pulling off these combos and, and stuff like that. The, um, uh, uh, what's the sword called? Uh, the Ludwig's one Holy Sword. Yes, that mm, one. That um, is my that is my sword. <laughs> yeah, my go. That's my go-to weapon, and I love that the the fact that you can kind of switch between the tiny blade and the big blade yeah, yeah. mid combo, mm. and you can chain <laughs> together these attacks that are just devastating in a way that you can't do in Dark Souls, and that's why I love the kind of. Um, peeling back the unnecessary kind of um, items and mechanics and kind of focusing on what's, you know, the strong suit of these games and and really kind of um, amplifying that and and kind of expanding on it. I think ultimately the problem people have uh, with the builds is is, is it makes PvP a little less interesting. Because for me, like, like, first of all, I had a lot less um, invasions uh, with uh, Bloodborne than I ever had with any of the other Souls right. games. And I wonder if that's because people just don't have as much fun fighting against... Ultimately, you're fighting against yourself because they have probably the same amount of you know the weapons at their disposal that you do. So I wonder if that's the, where much that complaint comes from, is that it just doesn't make fighting other people fun. I don't know. Is it not partly just because, uh, to talk about the adversarial, you can only be invaded when you're beckoning, isn't that is that right? Yeah. Yeah, so mm-hmm. um, we were talking about this today, uh, James and I, because we were playing. As I say, we were we'd arranged a passworded co-op. Uh, now, there, I have I've, uh, there, there, we had some great times, and it certainly helped. Um, and it was more fun than what I'd done previously, which was uh, summoning randoms in for boss encounters, which I still like. Uh, and I think it's great that it's always an option. Um, if you know, it's a way of uh, perhaps getting through the game where you would find a stumbling block because the distraction of having another person there is invaluable um, because it means that the boss simply cannot uh, focus all of its attention on you um, I like that it's there I like that you're not effectively other than the chance of being um, you know uh, invaded you're not penalized for it but I did find uh, that we were getting invaded quite a lot um, as we were trying to co-op um, and generally it's people who seem to I guess this is what they do with their day uh, they just invade other people's <laughs> games of Bloodborne yeah. and kill them very quickly because they're like level a million um, and, you know I was a mere level 104 or something um, and this person just you know turns up and it's I, I like it in a way it has it adds a certain frisson and I like the fact that you can go and hunt down the bell ringing woman to to cancel it out but normally that's a bit of a risk reward thing as well but we did find ourselves saying because we were you know we were trying to do this thing we were trying to play together I did start getting a bit annoyed just like this is my game this this is not your yeah, game why yeah. why is I'm I am playing co-op with my friend why yeah. why is this game allowed why am i not allowed to stop this game spoiling that for me and yeah, I, get, I know again from software philosophy etc cetera, etc cetera, but we talked about maybe they could have had a like a, um, a blood echoes penalty for switching off the adversarial or something like that i don't know mm. but, um I, I think players should have more of a choice and, and like yeah. compared to having to ring the bell and having to be within proximity of each other and having to have not killed the boss in the area. It's not exactly drop in, drop out Gears of War style, I realise. But I think it fit fit more in Dark Souls 
when you had the red phantoms because it fit more into the law and it fit more into the into that world and it, and it was uh, I don't know it just had a bit more of a justification for it and also I spent quite a lot of time being that guy um, at, <laughs> oh, at the top of at the top of well I was creative though at the top of Sen's fortress so you have to sort of teeter away <laughs> along that final oh, narrow God. bit so but I think no I'm giving you the I'm giving them the Dark Souls experience. <laughs> That's, yeah. <laughs> that's part of it but I think in, in Bloodborne I also helped out too I, I had, I had, uh, I had yeah, two sure. sides to me <laughs> but in Bloodborne I don't I, I, they kind of played it down because as you say they, they they sort of took out where you could get invaded and how a little bit more mm-hmm. and they they really did play it down a bit almost to the point where I thought well maybe just don't include it but maybe they yeah, just thought well yeah. we, we should I think they sort of didn't want to fully let go of it and that was yeah. uh, a very uh, admittedly a small mistake but possibly a bit mm-hmm. of a mistake because I don't think it adds anything to this game another thing I, I find I'm curious about as somebody who finds a way to play that they're comfortable with and then sticks to it and mm-hmm. doesn't branch out partly through you know, lack of time and or maybe that's not fair maybe it's more like surfeit of other games rather than lack of time sure. um i find it curious some of the items that are in the game that i would never use like the, to mm. me things like the pebbles and the coins are and the monocular are just completely redundant um, huh. mm. now interestingly that, yeah, yeah sure. i was gonna say um well monocular i use monoculars for a totally different okay. uh, purpose which was to do a kind of a fudged together photo series for right. Vice a while ago <laughs> oh. where I took all the HUD elements off, um, used the monocular and then you use the sit down emote and the monocular, the camera oh, stays where it is, but your character sits out of view. Um, cool. It's quite neat. Um, but, yeah, the monocular's kind of a weird... I think it's a hangover from Dark Souls binoculars. Mm-hmm. It doesn't. You can't mm-hmm. see that much farther. I guess it's <laughs> kind of a, hey, do you want to look at that weird thing a bit closer than... Yeah, here you go. Um, it, it's okay. I think it's just a, a. I think even the description indicates that it's just for. I can't remember how the description goes off the top of my head, but it's basically saying, "Hey, it's just for a bit of fun," you know. Sure. Um, sure. The pebbles are, are really useful, actually. Okay. Um, because what you need, if you've got a, a group of enemies of tough enemies. And you don't want to take them all on at once. Pull you, one what out, you do yeah. is you just you just uh, divide and conquer like that. And that can be, you know, when you really think I can't be bothered dodging around all these lot for five minutes and not making a mistake. I'm just going to pull them out one by one and, and patiently clear okay. this out. But so you, it's it's an option rather than a you know it's it's not something that you have to be doing. It's something it's no. a, it's a way you can tackle. It's if, like if a little. Wish. It's like a little lifeline when you, if you feel a little bit fatigued and you think, I really, maybe you're really low on health and you and you you know that the next uh, lantern's in sight or what have you, and you think I just need to get there. I'm going to use a pebble to make sure I get there because I've got low vials or something like that. Um, but yeah, they, they, yeah, they're not essential, but there's there's some use in those. I can't I'm more likely remember what to the make Ludwig's sword big and then just do a <laughs> massive slice across as many enemies as i can in one go <laughs> all right before uh, we tr- attempt to summarize this uh, sprawling game uh, or a, a sprawling experience in some ways more than a sprawling game uh, we need to hear from some of the community now i have to say uh, we had a ton of correspondence on this one um understandably it's a recent game that sold a lot of copies and uh, and engendered a lot of discussion we can't possibly fit them all in 
Um, but you can read all of them over at canarince.com slash forum. Uh, I have included all the emails we received to podcast at canarince.com because people were kind enough to send them and you can't go and read those on the forum. So uh, I will get through as many of these as possible. Some may not make it through the edit. Uh, I'm going to read fast, starting with Xavier Desmond who says, I really wish I loved Bloodborne, having bounced off the previous Souls games before progressing far at all and knowing the high regard that these games are held, I was determined to really give this game a chance to grab me. My first impressions were very positive. I found the other Souls games visually a bit drab, but I adore the dark gothic atmosphere that Bloodborne creates and there is a twisted beauty to the streets and architecture of Yharnam. I found the mechanics difficult to get to grips with initially and I was afraid that I would not be able to progress as I died and died and died. However, slowly I began to get to grips with how the game needed to be played and started to understand what I was doing. It took me a while, but I managed to kill the first boss and I thought, right, I might be starting to get what this game is all about. I continued, and after much dying and retrying, I managed to beat the werewolf boss, Father Gascoigne. Then I just stopped playing and have never gone back and have never wanted to. I've genuinely thought a lot about why the game just never really connected with me. Firstly, although the mechanics are so tight and well designed, I found the structure of the game an issue. Maybe it's because I'm not a particularly skilled gamer, but the fact that I died so regularly and had to replay sections repeatedly was quite tedious, and the game often felt like a chore. I liked the mechanics, but maybe I just didn't like them enough to play the same sections over and over again. The second reason is to do with the way the world and the story is constructed. As someone who loves story-driven games and is happy to play a game with dodgy mechanics as long as the story is good, I found Bloodborne wanting. My preference in storytelling, whether it's games, books or film, is where there is an emphasis on character and plot. Give me characters I care about and send them on a journey and I'm all in. Bloodborne seems to have no interest in these things. It is all about the imagery, the lore and the mythos and in my opinion values complexity over depth in its world building. Never once when I played did I feel the world of the game was a real place or the characters real people. I wish I loved Bloodborne as others do, but for whatever reason, I do not seem to get what makes this game special as it is for so many people. Beautifully put and uh, well done, Xavier, for you know putting your head above the parapet on what is widely a, a you know, well-loved game um, and such... Uh, erudite prose on why you don't like it perfectly understandable as well i'd say cellador says something that comes out when you read lovecraft that doesn't usually appear when you read lovecraftian modern fiction is the utter sense of hopelessness in lovecraft's worlds where when one of his cosmic entities is afoot or is fouling up human life whoever gets entangled is doomed that doom is the thrust and the meat of the story souls gameplay loves to hand you this same sense of doom this same sense of the inescapability of your predicament and your total lack of equality to it the only way you can win is by becoming sharper stronger as a player more than stronger as a character when you play bloodborne you go through this sense of horror and at the impossibility of your task but as you become better at completing it then you enter into the world's horror as you advance through the story, you gradually learn how deeply rooted the game world's predicament is, how untrustworthy your friends are, how high the price of escape might be. I think the high difficulty of progress in the game is very well suited to this, and the in-game equipment is all perfectly suited to the 19th century setting of most of the stories that inspire it. In the end, the thing that took me away from this game was that it was just too stressful. 
All the systems, from the game world to the lore presentation to the combat mechanics, involved stress, difficulty, and a sense of dread. And the rewards on offer just weren't equal to counterbalancing this. I loved the game and what it offered me. I even thought it was a brilliant work or a work of genius, but actually playing it just wasn't that fun. It was scary, eye-opening, and stressful. It was rewarding in a martial kind of way, but I felt like I was engaging in a fight, not engaging in play. And eventually, that was just too costly. Thank you, Celador. Next up, we have a much more positive appraisal from Thirteen, and、uh, I'm including because of context something which I never normally include, which is a bit of praise for Kane and Rince. I hope you'll forgive this, as it is issue two hundred and fifty. Thirteen says this game has kind of reintroduced me to the medium, which has since become an important part of my life again, and I owe a lot of that also to this amazing podcast. Those two factors combined makes it important to me to contribute to this last episode of the season. But since there is already a plethora of reviews and in-depth analyses in this thread, I decided not to add to that pile and instead share my kind of personal story of the game. When my long-time best friend Max visited me back in the summer of 2015, we knew we wanted to uphold our tradition and play a video game together. I played only occasionally at that time, but was intrigued when Max told me about his excited about this exciting successor to Miyazaki's famous Souls series. I didn't exactly know what he was talking about, but the name rang a bell, and I generally trust my dear friend. So we went straight into it. Boy, did I not know what I was about to get into! The rich atmosphere and intriguing mechanics of the fighting system immediately enraptured me, but it also asked far too much of my poorly trained gamer brain and hands, barely able to remember where I could find which button. Regardless, we were switching the controller back and forth, and I started getting the hang of navigating through the intricate game world, kind of a bit. We played through roughly half of the game in these couple of days, mostly ignoring the gleaming sun and lively world in front of our window, in favour of diving deeper and deeper into this dark, mysterious, and macabre world. Until then, I had not defeated a single boss. I just wasn't able to approach these battles methodically with the required level of mechanical skill, as well as a calm head, which came far more easily to my soul's veteran of a friend sitting next to me on the couch, slaying one boss after the other. But the time came, and Max had to leave again as we were living in different cities at the time. But his taunting, half-joking goodbye, telling me he expected to finish the game now on my own, did in fact not leave. It stuck with me. Combined with the fact that I was completely drawn into the city of Yarnum at that point, it led to me swearing to myself that I would finish the game on my own. I am not exaggerating when I say that the next boss, Rom the Vacuous Spider, whose name I will probably never forget, took me at the very least fifty attempts. I was upset. I yelled. I even cried a little, but I did not give up. After a journey encompassing several days, I finally earned the words on screen myself for the first time: "Pray slaughtered." At that point, my heart rate was on a critical level, and I was in fact killed by the remains of the beast's magical attack. Only a split second after, I finally considered myself victorious, leaving me in utter desperation. Time seemed to come to a standstill while thoughts and curses raced through my brain a lot faster than the loading screen could possibly keep up with. I raced back through the oh-so-familiar area of Bergenworth, heart still pounding and jumping back into that cursed lake. A cutscene triggered. I don't know if a video game in the past or has, or indeed will ever again, give me such a pure sense of accomplishment. The day I beat that spider, I continued my playthrough of Bloodborne and finished the game as well as the old Hunters DLC. 
It took me more than 100 hours, but in the end I persevered. I fought my way through this beautiful, abhorrent game, and I walked away in triumph after all. Max never looked at me with those taunting eyes again. In the end, I gained his respect and even surpassed him. Bloodborne is just a video game, but it is a really good one. The one that brought me back into the medium of video games. The one that asked more of me than I could give, and yet the one I should eventually overcome. I will always love this game, and I will always hate it. Lovely stuff. Thank you. Next up, we have a late email from uh, Tom Hewlett, who, if you remember, uh, we spoke to because he was a producer on some of the Silent Hill games that we uh, covered last year. Friends have been recommending the Soul series for years, and I long ago accepted I would get to it one day. When I caught Bloodborne on sale for $12, it seemed like the best place to start. Standalone story, cool setting and something nice for my PS4. I bought it knowing I'd have it around one day. Months later, my big fall titles, Final Fantasy XV and Last Guardian, both saw massive delays. Left with nothing to fill my limited I'm a dad so I play from midnight to 2am game sessions, I decided it was time for Bloodborne. I immediately became the insufferable Bloodborne fan, obsessed with each dive into Yharnam. The much-storied Souls level design is better than I imagined. The gothic Lovecraftian setting is so unique to games and so well-realised here that I found it seductive and captivating for an entire 80-hour playthrough. But that wasn't enough. Yarnum's allure proved too great. I watched lore videos by day and stalked the familiar streets at night. I tore through the chalice dungeons. Thumerian Queen Yarnum fell to my blade. I'm so close now. Final Fantasy XV and The Last Guardian can wait. I'm only two trophies from Platinum. So close I can smell it. The old blood. Scott Leland, also an email. Thanks, Scott. I should have stopped playing Bloodborne at least 100 times. The fact of the matter is, like many FromSoft offerings, they make it difficult to do so. This was my first game from the developer and I had no idea what I was getting myself into. A familiar refrain. I think with many of the Souls entries, those who don't know the style of game assume that they, they are simply ruthlessly difficult just for the pure sake of being difficult. I used to fall into this school. What I didn't realise was how rewarding they could be. Bloodborne genuinely rewards players for digging deeper into its lore and darkest corners. Father Gascoigne is simultaneously my favourite and least favourite video game character ever. I can safely say I fought this man around 50 times. I kept wanting to give up. My friend who lent me the game told me keep going. The anger and frustration told me not to, but I did. I think Gascoigne is an excellent gatekeeper to Yarnum, almost as if saying, if you can handle me, you can handle the rest of this place. Boy, am I glad he taught me this. When delving deeper into Yarnum and its surrounding regions, what impressed me most about the game was that the seemingly endless lore is there to be discovered, but isn't imposing. Mr Miyazaki and his team put a lot of work into shaping a beautiful and detailed world that you care about. When I started to uncover and piece together the Lovecraftian subplot, I couldn't believe what was unfolding before my eyes. It all made sense. This was my reward. I completed the game after defeating all mandatory and optional bosses. My combat had improved significantly. I was able to, to defeat German on, my th on the third try and Moon Presence on the second. Throughout this journey, my issues with anger and frustration seemed to subside. None of that mattered anymore. New Game Plus begins. I took it slow this time, making my way through central Yarnum, appreciating all the little details that I wasn't able to the first time around. I passed through sewers, by stoops littered with incense, looking at how the tones of red and brown and magnificent lighting brought this place to life. Slowly but surely I made my way to the tomb of Erden. Father Gascoigne's familiar blunderbuss echoed through 
throughout the surrounding graveyard, except this time I smiled as if reuniting with an old friend. Unusually, we have a poem, Grim Fandingo, a short poem inspired by the beautiful horror of Bloodborne. Blade and pistol at his side, he sets out into the night. Madness is both friend and foe. Be quick, no time for fright. So cut deep, good hunter, their blood a frantic feast. Annoying doubt, a growing fear. Who really is the beast? Thank you. And finally, because both it's just a terrific email and also because it proves we have a listener in Mongolia. In <laughs> Mongolia. Oh, wow. uh, we got an email from Ulzi Damba. Apologies for my pronunciation. Enksaikan. I do apologise uh if that's in any way wrong and i suspect it probably is but thank you so much for letting us know we have a listener in mongolia because that is just completely awesome um ulzi damba says bloodborne is a visionary masterpiece of cosmic proportion that conjures visceral nerving primal depressing eerie frustrating euphoric unique operatic and lovecraftian spirits that assault the emotions to evoke the primal phobias that we try to avoid in our everyday life for that reason Bloodborne designed to assault us with hellish sounds and images that burdens the player to supply the courage, perseverance and grit to slash and dash forward in a tango of survival that demands us to hunt or be hunted and face the phobias to smash it again and again until it is pummeled into the ground where the fear is turned into a vile shot that delivers a true rush of pure adrenaline in a single moment of triumph. Crikey. <laughs> seven out of ten <laughs> seven out of ten yeah. <laughs> uh, right uh, we also have a slew of three word reviews to race through starting with Josh Mitch Thorpe says long load times Sam Worms says dodge die repeat Lee Scovell says that bloody spider Peter Cleave says preferred fighting beasts Chris Connolly says oh actually aliens ashley johnson says love except frenzy kazimad says not souls thankfully sean the bird says wooden shield ha vincent mccauley says fear the blood craig mcadam beware the moon i'm gonna try it hey ben naylor says this time's finished not too bad. Probably better not than bad. my probably better than my Philadelphia. <laughs> Alex Fusil says poor Father Gascoigne. The beer nerd says German's Wild Ride. Spencer Saunders says modern Luigi's Mansion. <laughs> Tom Q says Hammer Horror Waxworks. Sam Draper says Blood and Kirk Hammer. Alex Maskell says Cut Up Cthulhu. Mr. Turch says Chalice Dungeon Fun. Richard Atwood, welcome back, Miyazaki. Jesse Fuchs says Verdict, quite thrilling. (laughs) (laughs) Josh Snow says Disgustingly beautiful experience. Hansford says Just bloody superior. Bucklord says Exquisite unending nightmare. Carl Renard says A Lovecraftian masterpiece. And uh, Bottled Lightning says, praise the moon. Well done. (laughs) Thanks, everybody. Good job. Uh, So it just remains for us to summarise in brief 
Uh, I am a uh, not exactly a soul's virgin, but my cherry hadn't been fully popped by uh, Miyazaki and Co. In fact, I played some older From Software games. I uh, dabbled with the Otogi games and things like that, which uh, in in some ways actually have quite a bit in common with this. I'm still waiting for the HD remaster of Otogi One and Two. I think it would actually go down pretty well. Uh, but on topic, um, I really enjoyed Bloodborne a lot. Uh, it may have taken me a year and a half to finish it, but in a way, uh, it never, I think it, it actually speaks to its quality because it never felt old. Every time I came back to it after a hiatus to play, you know, three Zelda games in a row or um, or something else uh, for Kane and Rince, it was exciting to come back to rather than, you know, like a, a, a drudge to finish. Um, I did it in possibly the cheapest, least skillful way possible. I ground, I leveled up, I used the the weapons that I uh, I understood to be at least, you know, most compatible with my playstyle, but if not, you know, widely regarded as some of the most effective. I wailed on bosses. I didn't necessarily uh, play them as skillfully as I might have done in a game where it didn't have the option for you to level up to the point that you know you could basically survive through attrition by backing off and healing um i i didn't have i think father gascoigne was was probably the boss i died the most on and in the end i learned about summoning people in and i did that for probably about half if not two-thirds of the remaining games bosses and to the point that i ended up finishing the last few with a pal but hey the options there it's in the game it was fun i enjoyed it it's completely legal if i wanted to go back and start a completely new save file and play it all through on level four by selecting the weakest character uh i would just give up and i wouldn't see the game through um visually hugely arresting uh the ambient soundscape as well uh and just the feel of playing the game is is really there for me uh it's that um it's that tactile i'm going to say it visceral uh feel to the combat um the exploration of this labyrinthine intricate and yeah really quite miserable world um appeals to the kind of things i like um it's now of course because we talk about games when they're quite old it's uh, available widely with the dlc which is extremely hard by the way and i haven't seen much of um, it's available cheap, and uh, if you have a PS4, I'd say it's you know it's kind of an essential purchase. At least give it a go. But as you've heard from our correspondents, um, don't be put off if the first few hours seem like a chore, because there is a tipping point. Um, even if you play it in the kind of the fairly unskilled uh, brute force way that I did, there is a tipping point that comes. And to the point that today I was merrily gadding about Yarnum in New Game Plus, uh, just having a lot of fun taking things out with one and two hits and um, <laughs> still enjoying myself. So, yeah. Uh, Sean, how about you? Yeah, Bloodborne um, ticks all the boxes for me. It's a, it's a Souls game with... Uh, new artillery and it's got horror in it and you know we didn't really give too much gravitas i think to the twist that gives you halfway through where just all of a sudden now it's a there's a little hints of like the cthulhu and and or lovecraftian stuff uh the first half but that second half where it gets just full-on cosmic horror is just uh one of my favorite twists in, in any game that i've played and and also the dlc which we didn't really go into of how the old hunters were it's a it's a story told in reverse, and I didn't even realize it until I got towards the end of it, and I was like, "Oh, this is such a brilliant idea of going through a linear story, but it's actually being told backwards." I don't know. It's just really cool ideas, and and as we've already said, all the all the 
the art and sound is fantastic and it's probably i don't know it's, I, i'd venture to say it's probably my favorite game of this generation right now um yeah it just it ticks all my box boxes and and i just recommend it to anyone who has a ps4 favorite of the generation so far so far okay. yeah. all right josh yeah so um i i love uh bloodborne i think it's the closest um, any entry uh, in the Souls series has come to kind of knocking the original Dark Souls off its pedestal for me. Um, ultimately, um, I still prefer Dark Souls just because thematically um, it explores some themes like entropy and, and stuff like that that just appeal to my sensibilities a bit more. But honestly, like... These games are of such a high quality, both um, you know, Dark Souls and Bloodborne. I, I absolutely recommend playing both of them. Um, I think the focus on uh, combat and kind of stripping away some of the unnecessary mechanics is really wise. Um, I think uh, many of the boss battles are highlights of the series, um, especially the uh, DLC boss battles. Lady Maria is just an incredible piece of game design both in terms of her animation um, the way that conveys narrative and conveys personality and just the way she ramps up her abilities um, yeah I just I think it's an essential purchase I think it's one of the um, you know modern classics um, that uh, have come about from this uh, current era of uh, video games I, I think it's essential and please please play the DLC as well because I think it uh, honestly enhances the entire package um, yeah yeah big win for me big win yeah DLC will come in the box for most people now uh or with the download i think so um yeah it's right there well sort of you have to go and find it and then you'll die a lot okay let's conclude with our special guest uh bloodborne superfan by his own admission <laughs> gary dunn um i would uh second josh's uh assertion to the dlc is essential um mainly because it ties through from playing all the way through the main game it then ties up and explains the origins of the entire curse and everything that happened and that was um i thought that was quite nice and quite generous um because i mean it's still in its own souls game sort of way but you you do learn in a relatively speaking straightforward way how it all came about and what happened and 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 the idea of it being in reverse and and being a product of uh I, I think the th- I don't know if it's confirmed, but the theory is it's a product of Maria's dream, um, mm. which is why she's trying to protect you from the truth when you have to beat her to get to what the truth was in the mm. village is just oh, just amazing. That's, that's the most descriptive thing I can say is oh, um, <laughs> it's pretty solid. It, it's uh, yeah, it, it, wonderful. Um, I put it Bloodborne over Dark Souls um, because wow. I feel that. He, um, they took everything from the previous games. Um, I mean, two we can kind of. Uh, I do think it's very good, but I don't know if he took that much from two. I think if we talk specifically, demons, dark, um, mm-hmm. and and looked at those games, took everything that was good, stripped away things that were 
less necessary um, as we were talking about the weapons, the choice of weapons where in Dark Souls I feel like there were, there were a lot of weapons that you just didn't use because there was another weapon with the same moveset that did more damage so why do you need it? A lot of fluff in there um, and whilst I love just how much you can get out of Dark Souls story because of the way it's told and, and the sort of purposefully abstract nature of a lot of it um, I I think there's a better story in Bloodborne because of the tightness and, and the focus there um, and the, the themes are just as strong but there's there's just feels like there's more direction um, which I appreciate more um, the only the only thing that I'll never let go of it might be just because it's in my heart rather than my head is Artorius in, in Dark Souls DLC which may keep it like a, you know there's a nose in it because of that I think because of him specifically um, but uh, yeah Bloodborne everything about it um, is just it's music at his best he's, he's mastered it he's got the space the use of space of demon souls and then the cloying atmosphere of demon souls um, combined with everything he learnt from Dark Souls about mechanics um, there's just rarely a foot wrong and there's no bed of chaos either so <laughs> what, what is there to hate alright so thanks Josh and Sean and Gary do you have anything you would like to point our listeners towards that you do and stuff if you're if you're bored of great intelligent discussion like this podcast, you could go and listen to Chat Very Good, which is a which is an off-topic uh, podcast that I do with Tamar Hussain and Joe Scribbles, Chris Scullion, and Sam White. Let's include him because I have to. Um, we're all we're all game people in around the games industry, but we actually rarely talk about games on that. It's kind of a refreshing departure from it. Um, and my own thing is. Uh, called making games is fun um which you can find it at making games is fun that's just one g because you can't fit two g's in the twitter name um and that's where i interview game devs about what it's like to make games but also there's a heavy focus on their lives and just them as people and i'm not sure when uh this one will go up but most likely i'll have just um recently recently for that series because they're quite occasional uh, i've released my interview with the chinese room where i interviewed jessica curry and dan pinchbeck and focus on their relationship together as a married couple and and what it's like to be uh partners at home and partners at work and uh and we talk about jessica's uh sort of step back from the from the industry yeah. and why she's done that and why she's taken further steps back as well so yeah there's a lot of uh, a lot of good discussion in there and it and we just we went on for quite a while and it's and it's very good i'm excited about it brilliant look forward to that absolutely so it just remains for me leon to thank everybody who has listened and contributed and supported uh cane and rinse that's words and or cash through our patreon or buying t-shirts uh you can keep doing that by the way while we're on our break on our hiatus uh so yeah throughout volume 5 2016 uh, once again i said this at the end of the last one but it's true again it's been by far our most successful uh, set of podcasts in terms of uh listenership and reach and we're still growing and we still want to get much much bigger so do tell your friends uh and all that type of stuff uh as i say while we're going to have a month or so 
Uh, I haven't I haven't got the date for our return exactly uh, locked in yet, but do stay subscribed because um, we have uh, one or two interview podcasts which will be coming your way, and there's still Sound of Play which you sub- uh, should subscribe to if you don't already. So uh, next time in issue 251 to be announced. Watch this space. Uh, keep an eye on things. And so until 2017, <laughs> that's right. Have a fantastic time and we'll see you then. Bye.